And our passage tonight is verses 26 to 40 of chapter 14, but I'd like us to read the first five verses of chapter 14. And as I read these passages, they're printed on the service sheet, I want you to uh, keep an eye out for all the references to building up and encouraging one another. So let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, and then 26 to 40. Paul writes, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And then picking up at verse 26, which is the conclusion of the section from the beginning of chapter 11 through to chapter 14. And our focus this evening, verses 26 to 40. What then, brothers and sisters, that's the better translation, the word is brethren, uh, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? 
If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what the Apostle is teaching here. We pray that we would listen to your word. We would listen to the Apostle's truth. And that we would apply it in our context as a church faithfully and well. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, verse 26 begins, What then, brothers and sisters? In other words, let me paraphrase these words, How might I sum up? How might I sum up what I've said in these chapters 11 through 14? When you come together, that's what Paul says, How might I sum up when you come together? And 1 Corinthians chapters 11 to 14 are about what should happen when the church community comes together or gathers together. Now, what was happening in the church in Corinth when it gathered together was a long way from what was right. And so what Paul writes is corrective. He's dealing with stuff that was wrong, but in his corrective... He reveals to us what is right. Now, what did it mean for them to come together? Probably, although we can't be certain, but probably more like what we would understand by small groups than church services. Perhaps something in between the two. We can't be certain. What we can say for certain is that the church family, then, when it gathered together, there was singing and reading and speaking and explaining and tongues and prophecy. Now, what does it mean for us to come together? Well, the two obvious applications are when we come together on Sundays in the different services, like now, we are gathered together tonight to study God's Word together. And the other context that's most obvious is when we come together in our small groups. These are the contexts, our Sunday services, and in our small groups, that it's helpful for us to have in our minds as we listen to what Paul teaches here. So a context like this, what we're doing at the moment, what's happening right now, but also, and perhaps, well, certainly just as much when we are in our small groups. Just one additional thing to note, Paul is addressing here groups when there are both men and women present. 
So very obviously, that would be for us Sunday services and in uh, all of our house groups, for example, which are mixed groups of women and men. So what he's saying to us is, look, how should I sum up everything I have taught, which is all about when you gather together as a church family? And for us, that means on a Sunday, in our services, and in our small groups. And Paul's eye is in particular when uh, women and men are together, for example, now and in our mixed uh, small groups. Now, what then are the big principles Paul has set out in these chapters, 11 to 14, about what should characterize our meetings together? Number one, and he says this all through the chapters, and he says it again and again in this last chapter, that these meetings or these times when we gather together like now should build us up in our faith. So that's exactly what we are here for tonight, that we might be built up in our faith. Notice the language is always corporate. And that means growing as Christians. It means being encouraged. It means being strengthened in our faith. It's all the things that Jay prayed would happen. And in the passages we read, and I alerted you to that, you'll have noticed the repeated references to building up and encouraging. There it is in verse 3. Speaking to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So when I preach, I pray that we will be built up, encouraged, and comforted. And in all the conversations that go on afterwards, all the speaking truth and love, these conversations should build up, encourage, and comfort. There it is again in verse 4, builds up the church, verse 5b, verse 26, let all things be done for building up, verse 31, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Notice the, notice the link between learning and encouraging. So the first principle, when we gather together, uh, that is uh, repeated again and again through these chapters, is that we gather together on Sundays and in our small groups to be built up in our faith. How does it happen, this building up? Well, Paul tells us in these chapters, through intelligible speech, order, love, and a selfless corporate mindset. Let me just run through that list again, and I'll explain them. Intelligible speech, order, love, and a selfless corporate mindset. And what he's saying, and let me let the cat out of the bag, is when you come to a church on a Sunday night, what you should be looking for is intelligible speech. What you should be giving out is intelligible speech. There should be order, 
whatever that means, there should be love. And there should be a selfless attitude that says, I am coming for their sake, for their being built up. When you've got selflessness running through the veins of a church when it gathers, that is a powerful thing. Now, intelligible speech, order, love, and selfless corporate mindset builds up. What is intelligible speech? Well, God is a speaking God. We grow as Christians through the Word of God when it is preached, taught, and spoken. We cannot grow through the Word of God if we cannot understand the Word. The words we speak need to be intelligible, understandable, that we might be built up and encouraged. And I think this is just plain common sense. You can't be built up and encouraged if you do not understand what is being said. What about order? That's how the section ends, the last verse of chapter 14, but all things should be done decently and in order. What does order mean? It means uh, it's not a free-for-all. But nor does it mean something that is so structured and so mechanistic that it constrains spiritual vitality and life. But again, it's just common sense wisdom. I mean, you all sit in the same seats every week. You, you really do. And I, that's just because we're wired that way. We need a dimension of order, of routine, to know what's going on. Why? Because the purpose of our coming together is that we are built up. And that will not happen if we have no idea what is going on. Or if people come to services, those of us who are leading, unprepared. Or if we come to our small groups unprepared. Now, don't misunderstand me. There needs to be spontaneity, a willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Sometimes off script. I was in Ireland last weekend. And I stood up to preach on Sunday night, and it was on Mark 8, 34, through the Transfiguration, and then the bit afterwards down in the valley. And I got up, and I stood behind the lectern, and for the majority of the sermon, I just preached the notes I had prepared. The Holy Spirit helps you in the study. Or in the case of that sermon, on the boat to Ireland. But I came out with a line that became the dominant line through the sermon. We were talking about moving forward in evangelism, and the line that I began with that I hadn't scripted, there is, a, there is a big difference between saying to God, I will not do it, and I just feel I can't do it. And we got to the end of the passage in Mark 9, and the disciples said to Jesus, why could we not do it? Now, that's being open to being led by the Spirit in a sensible way. There needs to be spontaneity, but in a way that is ordered and balanced. Now, order, as we'll see later, also has to do with who does what when the church gathers together. 
intelligible, speaking, order. These things build up the church. And then love. Paul devotes a whole chapter 13 to love, love for one another, a loving attitude to one another. And notice how chapter 14, the final chapter in the unit, begins, pursue love. That is the mindset, the heart set that we should bring when we come to meet with others in the church family. Come on a Sunday. Come to your small group to pursue love for each other as an expression of our love for the Lord Jesus. I think that's why the application off the back of any service is that around the room we speak the truth in love. And if we come with that attitude, we are far more likely to be shaped and moved in that direction. And so when we come together, whether it's on Sundays or in our small groups, the purpose is that we build each other up in our faith. We do that through intelligible speech, order, love, and drawing all these things together, a selfless corporate mindset. In other words, a mindset that comes on a Sunday and comes to our small group, not for what we will get out of it, or not for what I will get out of it, but for the sake of others. It is about building others up. And if we all think that way, then it's a very precious thing and place to be. And that's why the Bible, when it talks about singing, the emphasis is as much on the horizontal, the encouragement of one another, as it is on the vertical. So intelligible speech, order, love, a selfless corporate mindset that builds us all up in our faith is what the Apostle Paul commends when a church meets together in a Sunday service and in a small group. And none of that was going on in Corinth. Now, let's walk through the verses with that summary of the section in mind, the detail of these verses, and we'll walk through them carefully, and then I'll apply them in two ways to a Sunday service and to a small group. Let me just read verse 26 again. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one as a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. Verse 27, if anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Now, what is the gift of tongues? Listen to Roger's sermon, I think, two weeks ago in the faith mission. The gift of tongues is worshipping God in language that others cannot understand either a, a spiritual language or just a, another language that people who are there cannot understand. And Paul is not, and he underscores this at the end of the chapter, he is not prohibiting the exercise 
of the gift of tongues when the church gathers together. What he is saying is that there must be order. Let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. And let there be interpretation. Why? Because it is intelligible speech that builds up. And so he writes, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them, that is those who are using their gift, which is a gift from God of worshiping God in unintelligible language to others, let each of them keep silent in church. Let each of them keep silent when the church community is gathered together and use that gift to speak to his own heart, or her own heart, and to God. Sometimes Christians will make uh, wrong conclusions and say things like, Paul is not advocating the gift of tongues. He's not saying that. He is saying there is an appropriate context for the use of the gift of tongues. And if in a corporate setting, and I think probably the most obvious illustration for us would be a small group, and I'll come to that in a moment. If someone is speaking with the gift of tongues and it is interpreted, then go right ahead with order, one, two, or maybe three people, no more. But if it's not interpreted, then it should be for private, personal worship. Then verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now, prophets uh, is not Old Testament type prophets. Uh, it, perhaps a sharper translation would be let two or three people prophesy. Or two or three people who have the gift of prophecy to speak. What is prophecy? Prophecy is not preaching. So let's not kind of consume it all in that. Prophecy is something like intelligible application of God's Word given to an individual for the church as a whole or for another individual. Notice what how we have tried to define it as best as we can, looking at the context in Corinthians, intelligible application of God's Word. So all the conversations that go on after church that are, what are they about? Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. If you know somebody's situation and you listen to the sermon and you have a, a strong sense that you need to speak to that person and encourage them, then I would be very comfortable by saying that is prophecy. And I'd be equally comfortable, as Rog said in his sermon, shutting my eyes at the end of the sermon and saying, God, give me the gift of prophecy to do that. Now, verse 29 is in two parts. Look closely with me. Part one, let two or three prophets speak. Part two, and let the others weigh what is said. So part one, let two or three prophets speak. I think what Paul does is then explain that in verses 30 to 33a. 
And part two of verse 29, and let the others weigh what is said, I think he goes on to explain in verses 33b to 35. So let's look at each in turn. The first half of verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, or let two or three people prophesy. That's explained in verses 30 to 33. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion and of peace. Now, notice again the principle is one of order. Let one or two or three prophets speak. A sensible number. And in a sensible way. If someone else has something to say, let the first speaker be quiet, verse 30. Speak one at a time, verse 31. You know, we get the sense of this. It's just practical wisdom. You know, imagine a, a small group when everyone's just kind of firing in prophecies. You just can't hear anything. Applications. What does verses 32 and 33 mean? The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. That is, if you have the gift of prophecy, God has also given you the gift to stop. God has given you the gift to know when you need to stop. And you cannot say, oh, God just makes me do it. I've got more to say as an excuse for adding to the commotion. When God gives a gift, He gives the person responsibility of how to use that gift in an appropriate way. Simply having the gift is not an excuse to use it whenever and wherever the person wants to. Paul explains why. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What of the second half of verse 29? Let the others weigh what is said. So what does this mean? Let the others weigh what is said. That is explained in verses 33b to 35. Paul writes, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, these verses make the point, and we need to listen really carefully to this, that in a mixed gathering, like a small group, for example, where there are women and men, that in a mixed gathering, the weighing of prophecy, the weighing up of these intelligible applications of God's Word that are contributed, say, in that small group, the weighing up of prophecy is to be done by men. Now, Paul roots what he says in the Old Testament. He says, as the law also says, that may be a reference to Genesis or to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And that stops us thinking that what he says here is cultural or an overreaction to a church Corinth where the meetings were out of control Paul makes that doubly clear when he says that this is the practice, verse 33b, in all the churches. Now, Paul is not contradicting himself. The one assumption I make in preaching, and others do on 1 Corinthians, is that Paul does not contradict himself. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, he's made it absolutely clear that women and men are to use the gift of prophecy 
in mixed gatherings. He has made it clear that women and men are to pray in mixed gatherings. Women and men are to share their testimonies, are to sing in mixed church gatherings. What Paul is speaking about here is the authoritative teaching when the church is gathered together. And notice in these verses how God equates the household of God with the household of marriage and family. God gives men the responsibility for authoritative teaching in the church, whether it's preaching, like I am doing now, or the weighing up of a discussion in a small group, the leadership of that discussion, as he gives men the responsibility to lead in marriage and the family. Now, just as a short aside before we turn to the two applications and finish, over the last month, I've been very encouraged by the seminars on what the Bible teaches about men and women and their roles and responsibilities in church life. Around about 70 people have attended them. The questions and discussions have been rich and helpful. There were 56 questions, I think, that were written and submitted and, and asked. And if I was to sum up these times together, it would be this way. We agreed that the Bible's clear teaching is that in the household of the church, the local church, men are given the responsibility to lead, and their leadership is expressed through teaching the Bible. And in mixed church gatherings, when men and women meet together, the teaching responsibility is given by God to men. And it is the men, given the responsibility for the authoritative teaching, that God will hold to account. That's what we agreed the Bible teaches. But alongside that, there was excellent and fruitful discussion about how that principle should be expressed, what it actually looks like in church life. Let me just say thank you for all of the contributions that will make the outworking of this and the way we speak about this much richer and much fuller and much better in the future. Now, the specific area of authoritative teaching Paul has in mind here in 1 Corinthians 14 is the weighing of prophecy. Weighing of prophecy is listening to what people are saying, whether in a small group or whether if people come to us after the service and say, God has laid this on my heart, I have a prophetic word, please will you consider that as elders? It is listening to what people are saying and giving a measured, considered view based on their knowledge of the Bible and their responsibility to teach the Bible in the church. It doesn't mean to say that the person who is responsible for weighing the prophecy might have got it wrong in the first place. But they go to the Bible for the determinative response. When Raj preached on what prophecy at Faith Mission two weeks ago, he described prophecy that is not of God and that should not be listened to as no Bible, in other words, prophecy that doesn't come in any way from the Bible, or new Bible, prophecy that, that is in addition to what the Bible says. 
genuine prophecy that builds up his true Bible from the Bible application that is consistent with the Bible says. And uh, I think in, in verse uh, uh, 36 and 37, Paul is simply uh, laying out a test for what Jew prophecy is. Was it not from you that the Word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. A command of the Lord. The inspired Scripture is the authoritative teaching. Verse 39, Paul refers for the final time to the difference between prophecy, intelligible speech, and tongues. So my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy. And then a great little phrase, do not forbid the speaking of tongues. It's not wrong. It's just the context. A summary verse, but all things should be done decently and order. Now, let me finish with two applications. Number one, what does this look like when we meet together on Sundays? This is what you should experience on a Sunday when we meet together right now. Intelligible speech. Order. Not constrained order, but order to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work. Love. A selfless corporate mindset that builds us all up in our faith. What you should experience when you are here, when the church is gathered together in a Sunday service, is men taking the responsibility because God has given it to them for the authoritative teaching. What Paul describes in 2 Timothy 4 as the proclamation of the Word. We're not meant to have a Bible study on Sundays when we gather, we're meant to all sit under the authoritative proclamation of the Word. And God holds people like me accountable in eternity for what we do with that Word. Prophecy on a Sunday when we gather together should be encouraged. Let me encourage you to pray at the end of the service that God would give you that gift and share with each other. And if that leads you to come and share with us as elders something for the corporate life of the church that God has put in your heart, please do so. But it's to us that is given the responsibility, the elders in the church who are to be men, the weighing up of that prophecy for the whole. Is it right? And how do we weigh it up? We go to the Word of God. Lastly, what does it look like in a small group? You go to your small group, what should you hope for or pray for? Intelligible speech. Chocolate biscuits, maybe. Order. Love. A selfless corporate mindset that builds others up in our faith. Now, I want to take you in your minds to a house group meeting in Chalmers. It is the group that meets in the home of Callum and Christine Gruer. I said to him this morning, can I use your house group as an example? He said, can I say no? And I said, no. Um, the elders asked Callum and Christine to lead the group. 
the elders asked Callum and Christine to care for the different members of that group, men and women. The elders have asked Callum to take over all responsibility for leadership of that group, recognizing the biblical principle that in mixed church gatherings where the Bible is taught in an authoritative way, it is to men that God gives the responsibility to lead. So back to Callum and Christine's house group. I've never been, so I don't know what happens, but let me describe what the Apostle Paul would look for. Say at the start of the meeting, there is a time of prayer. And Callum, as the leader, encourages the group to focus their prayers on praising God. Say someone or two people in the group have the gift of tongues. And they praise God in a language that is unintelligible to others in the group. And from time to time in these times of praise, the person with or the people with this gift of tongues use it, but then from them or others it is interpreted so that others can understand what they are praying. Everybody in the group is comfortable with this and built up by these prayers. And so Callum says, this is edifying and good, and rightly. But if the unintelligible language in prayer was not interpreted, Callum should take the person aside at the end of the night and very graciously and gently say to them, look, if that gift of tongues is not interpreted, then that gift is probably for your personal praise of God. Why should Callum make that call? Because the Bible tells him to. Why does the Bible say that? Because unintelligible words do not build people up. And then in the Bible study that follows this time of praise, Callum leads people through the study. He doesn't do all the speaking. Everyone is encouraged to contribute, women and men, young and old, mature Christians and new Christians. Encouraged to contribute wisely based on the preparation and study they have done. But Callum keeps the Bible study moving and tries to ensure that no one person dominates the discussion. And through the study and for a focused time at the end, Callum encourages people to talk about how the passage applies in their lives and in the church's life. People share their wisdom with the group as God leads them. Callum ensures that there is an orderly sharing of stuff. He, there's a lovely practical bit in here. If you add up one, two, or three prophecies, it means you're done by half nine. And that matters. He keeps things focused. Two or three people sharing and then draws the discussion to a From time to time, Callum, sensing there is disagreement in the group over interpreting the passage or application, doesn't say, he doesn't say, look, it's all down to how you interpret it. His responsibility is to weigh it up with a Bible in his hand and says, Luke, I think this is what this means and what it's saying. And so when the Apostle Paul visits this house group and many others in Chalmers, I, I, I'm sure and I'm glad to say that he is encouraged. The strong sense Paul, the Apostle, picks up observing and listening is that this group is committed to building each other up by speaking and applying Jesus' word in a selfless, loving way. There is no room for egos or dominant personalities. Everything is done in a God-honoring way. 
And just as an aside, the Apostle Paul loved the house group lunches and the socials. Now, house groups in Corinth were nothing like that. House groups in Chalmers are like that. Sunday services in Chalmers, well, they're leaning in the right direction. I hope they are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would heed and hear this practical teaching about our church gatherings, whether in Sunday services or in our small groups, and apply them and celebrate them and embrace uh, all those who speak and contribute, and, and yet in an appropriate, biblically ordered way. Help us to trust and relish Your words as good, as true, and loving. For Jesus' sake. Amen.